Welcome listeners, one and all, welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple discuss Bridgerton, a Netflix Regency show. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. So we're super sorry we haven't been posting recently. Life and work has gotten away with us lately. I've been doing a lot of work on the podcast, it's for my PhD. Jordan got a new job, our dog got unexpectedly sick for a week, yada yada yada. Uh, February was not the best month. I don't know about you guys, but February just was not good, but we've survived it. Loads of things have changed, but like Daphne at her new home in Cliveden, we just keep learning and trying, and one day we will get the hang of being the lady of a very fine mansion. Uh, yeah. Shh. I am pretending I am the lady of Cliveden. Instead of in lockdown in our tiny apartment. The isolation is definitely getting to you then, my dear. I've been trying to read more. I found that social media was taking over my life a little bit. I also watched that Netflix show um, or documentary, The Social Dilemma or something, Social Network Dilemma, whatever it was. Anyways, it impacted me. I want to read more. And so I was like, why don't I just like start with Bridgerton? And I have read all of it. I got really carried away uh, for about a week straight and I read pretty much three books in the total of 24 hours and I didn't sleep for a couple of nights just reading and reading. I read Penelope, Eloise, and Benedict's story all over one weekend and got a little obsessed. I think for sure that the show is a bit more involved in terms of like the character stories kind of weaving in and out. The, the show definitely is not going to stick entirely to the books, but they're good and addicting to read. And if you haven't read the books yet, uh, they have a different vibe to the show, but I think they're really fun and really easy to read. And you get swept in really quickly, really easily. Now all I want to do is be a fine lady in a big country house, but not like in Regency, England, where people died from common colds or didn't have electricity or doctors that used modern medicine but in like the Bridgerton version of England where everything is beautiful and all the fine dresses and it's always sunny outside I see now why it's so appealing to make this fantasy world of Bridgerton instead of the like harsh reality of poverty <laughs> and limited medicine and all the times uh, that slavery was about that were connected with these big estates it's so much nicer just to think that like all that stuff didn't happen and that it, there's this beautiful fantasy world where people can like glide around in dresses and stuff I'm not trying to say like I want to like take away that any of that stuff happened and we don't educate people that that all of that happened but I understand what I'm saying is I understand the appeal of just wanting to escape into something like Bridgerton because it's complete fiction and it's complete fantasy but it's like in this lockdown world where everything feels like the world's crumbling around us and then history is so so harsh anyways it's like oh I just want to want to escape to to these book series and shows so I I get why people, people I mean, love them hence why I read fantasy and science fiction more because you can sometimes have these fun settings and imagine what it would be like to be somewhere amazing without the issues of dying from a common disease or whatever um, and I think it's also one of the main reasons that D&D uh, &D or Dungeons and Dragons has had such a recent revival because people get to hang out with a bunch of friends, obviously virtually these days, but you know that's the, the benefit to Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop RPGs uh, or role-playing games is that you can do it over Zoom because right? it's mostly in your imagination. 
And even even when it isn't, you can use a lot of tools that are developed because, you know, turns out that geeks are rather good at app development. Who knew? Um, so a lot of these apps have been made to kind of help people escape from, from their lives and things. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And actually, I keep seeing adverts um, on Facebook for... Oh, I've gone and forgotten the name of it, I'm afraid. But basically the Jane Austen tabletop I keep getting game. those too. That's probably because you're married to me. I really would like to try that though because it looks a lot of fun. I think they developed it, you know, several years ago and it just didn't take off. And I think now with Bridgerton, they've they've come back with it. And it's a Kickstarter advert I've been seeing. Yeah, well, they hmm. did it a couple years ago and it's basically, it's back on Kickstarter because I think it just didn't get the traction that it really needed at first. If it's the same one I'm thinking of, and, and I think it is. I think it's called something like a polite society. Yeah, that's exactly it. But I think with Bridgerton, that's that's why, you know, I know that there's a lot of criticism that can go around with Bridgerton, but also it it's helping people learn so much more about the Regency era and it's helping things like games like this um, that probably didn't have as much of a leg to, to stand on before now. Um, you know, they've got a lot of traction because people are getting excited about the Regency period and wanting to do things like play games that have to do with the Regency period. So I, for one, would really like to try out the game. Oh yeah, I'm always open to trying new games, um, RPGs like that. So we should you, try and uh, back it. We... I don't know how that works, these kind of games, but we should be, we should, you know, be suitors. You should be my suitor. Sure. I mean, I, I'd need to see the rules first to see what kind of game it Excuse is. Excuse me? Are you saying you don't want to be my suitor? Is that what you're saying? Maybe that. Are you saying you don't want to dance with me at the ball? Hmm? Is that what we're talking about now? I would very happily dance at the ball with you mm. in a game. Mm-hmm. Not so much in real life. Not very Excuse good at me? it. Excuse me? I'm not very good at oh, it. Oh, are you? Is that what you want to say to me? You know that we're recording this, right? In other news, reggae, which I'm sorry, I have said his name every which way it can be said, I think, at this point. And then I watched a clip from Saturday Night Live that he was on, and I realized that it's reggae. And I feel so bad. I'm really sorry. Anyways, he hosted Saturday Night Live last month. I didn't really watch it. I watched one clip that had to do with it. And apparently it was funny, but it's clear that his career is starting to get really busy. He's the it man right now. I keep seeing him in clips everywhere. Um, and he's also been cast in a couple different things. One is a D&D &D movie, which you were just talking about D&D. &D. Um, and so that looks like it's going to be his next project. I mean, sure. I remember you mentioning that to me. Historically, D&D &D movies have not been great. And I'll hold off on judgment before it's here. Uh, I will watch it, more than likely. Um, like I said, fantasy is kind of my my jam, but uh, I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Well, I think in the same way that Grey's Anatomy launched a lot of careers, such as Katherine Heigl and Sandra Oh, and it really propelled Patrick Dempsey's career, I think that Bridgerton will be a launching point for a lot of these actors, and it'll be interesting to see where they'll go from here. And which will stick around and which will become regulars on the show and who will go on from Bridgerton. They've also cast the lead female for the next season, presumably Anthony's love interest. The actress's name is Simone Ashley. She was in Sex Education and Broadchurch. She's a gorgeous actress from Sheffield, UK. I predicted that Anthony probably wouldn't get back involved with Sienna, and I doubt we'll see much of her next season. I'll be interested to see if he's still hung up on her by the time this Simone Ashley, or Kate, 
as the character is called, comes around in this second season. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned this before. I think it would be weird to completely oust Sienna from the show. Um, but I think we'll just need to wait and see what happens. It'll be more interesting if she does stay around, though, because there'll be more conflict that way. And as we always say, conflict is the heart of drama. It's the heart of story. You can't have a story without conflict. And so from a writer's and a, a viewer's point of view, it makes a lot of sense to me to keep her around. Let's put it that way. Well, sadly, I don't think that's going to happen because I just saw today that the actress has been cast in some major project. That's not to say she won't be in Bridgerton. I don't know. Like, she could still be because they're filming now, but she's just been cast, like, it's just been announced she's cast as the lead in a major series. So so this is, this is interesting. I won't go on about this for long. However, this is a very clear difference between um, Kayla and myself because <laughs> whilst you will kind of go and look at all of this news about who's been cast where when and what and things i intentionally don't go looking at entertainment you don't news. Know. i don't want to know because yeah. like i mean even the fact that we're discussing it here i think is a bit eh, because it's spoilers in a way like i don't i don't want the realities of the production to inform me of the story i've already got a hard time sometimes when watching something and just trying to enjoy it well go well this is going to happen because obviously because we've just you know we've we i read a lot watch a lot of stuff like i just i'm immersed in story all the time it's very easy to see where storylines will go i don't want to be preempted by knowing which actors are going to be in it like if there's a sequel of a, of a film like you know a big example would be the star wars films and then they'll say oh so-and-so has been cast and you go well okay well now i know that that character's in it or isn't or whatever oh, see i'm completely the opposite i want to know who wins the bachelor the second that the new cast is like but why i i think it's just it's comforting to me i want to know every spoiler that i can pretty much and then i want to like watch it unfold it's very satisfying for me and i also think in in terms of like fictional shows if they're very distressing it really helps me and i'm gonna admit to you right now and i told you that i didn't at the time but i did but I was just very nervous about what was going to happen with baby Theon Greyjoy. And I maybe looked up the spoilers for Game of Thrones because I had to know. I had to know what was going to happen to him. I was very attached to him and I just had to know. And so maybe I looked it up before the ending of the show. And I'm sorry that I lied to you. You're a filthy little liar. I can't believe that you've kept that from me for this long. It was, I was just staying up at night and I was distressed by it because we'd been watching it all that time. And then I was like, I can't handle this. And like, in the end, when I figured out like what happened with the show, I was okay with it, but I just needed to know. It just was something that I needed to know. So that's what I did. Okay. One wife for sale. That is so mean. Hmm. If you like the podcast, please follow us on Podbean or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a whole lot to us, and it would mean that we can keep doing recaps like this. We've also got a Facebook group where you can share articles, memes, stories, and whatever you like related to Bridgerton. carriage riding through the country scene lady whistledown sends her felicitations to the new duke and duchess of hastings and wishes 
of good stamina as they embark on their honeymoon. Mm. In this case, the honeymoon is to the Duke's holdings at Cliveden, in a scene straight out of Downton, with a curious mix of Lord of the Rings with Daphne's white cloak again, the Duchess is greeted by the entirety of the staff. Mrs. Coulson, the head of the house, it seems, has planned a light lunch and a tour and... Oh no, that will have to wait. As Simon tells everyone that he has plans for his new bride and pulls her into the house. Oh my. Oh my, indeed. Back to London, and we're at a garden party. Lady Violet tells Eloise that she should be preparing herself for her own debut, like Daphne did. And Eloise says, Making simpering conversation and pretending not to wince every time a man treads on my toes during a waltz. Her mother does not relent, telling her that she really should spend more time on deportment lessons than writing in her journal. What's deportment lessons? Um, it's about how to hold oneself. Your deportment is your, your bearing as you walk into a room. I think it was more like etiquette lessons. Oh, I definitely definitely didn't do that. I did cotillion, though. Did I tell you that? I okay. have no idea what that is. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Eloise retorts that Her Majesty herself has tasked her with discovering the identity of Whistledown and that surely she does not want her to disappoint. Eloise tells her mother that the Queen would like her to discover the identity. There we go. Before Lady Violet can respond, Colin taps his glass to get everyone's attention. Awkward. Penelope already knows what's coming and looks rather sick, but everyone else has no idea. Colin announces his and Marina Thompson's engagement. Benedict looks very pleased for his brother. Anthony decidedly does not. The Featheringtons, however, all look delighted. Anthony drags Colin aside, we presume at the earliest convenience, after a rather pointed question about what he's done to her. Colin says that he's marrying for love, and Anthony says that he knows Colin is still rather green, i.e. untested and new to this, and says that it's his own fault, for he should have taken Colin to brothels after he returned from Eton. <laughs> he says, if it's a matter of wetting your wick. But Colin interrupts with, you really are an ass, do you know that? And Anthony says that this is what comes of not sowing your wild oats, proposing to the first girl you meet. The brothers continue to argue, and Colin leaves after saying that Anthony has disappointed him. So... First of all, this is going to sound like a dumb question. So I know where kind of the term sowing your wild oats comes from. Do we know what wetting your wick comes from? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's something to do with candle making. I would think so. Um, no, I, I feel mean, dumb no, right now. It's got to be something like that. You know, it is. Um, and I think it's to do with dipping the wick in wax so that it can be lit. Okay, I get it now. And there okay. are other things that can be done. I got it. <laughs> I just was curious because I was like, I've never heard that term um, before I came here. So anyways, so I feel like this scene here is really relatable. It's that whole thing of like watching your friend get married to the wrong guy and you've got to smile and be like, this is so great. He's so great. Because ultimately it's it's not about you and you care about your friend's happiness. So you're like, oh, yay, this is the most exciting thing ever to everyone around you. I feel like that's what Lady Violet is doing. Like, she's not crazy about it, but loads of people are watching. And she doesn't want her son to look like an idiot in front of all of these people. She looks as if she's just as excited as everyone else. It's a smart tactic, to be honest, and it shows a lot of solidarity with your family. But it's very relatable, and I'm sure plenty of people have had to do this in their lives. Well, I think, you know, in some ways, Lady Violet's more reacting badly to the surprise. It's not exactly a perfect match for one of the Bridgertons, and she's concerned that something has kind of forced Colin to go along with this. Um, 
you know. But yeah, she's she's all about keeping up appearances so that nothing affects Colin publicly, right? Um, it's she's more bothered with how people will react to her not knowing, which is probably a big deal. Oh, I think you're right. That that probably that probably makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then you know the whole wang your wick thing is definitely an old school approach to the differences between men and women. Um, though I guess it obviously still exists today. It's basically Anthony being concerned that his brother's so concerned with um, laying with a woman that he's jumping into things. And we already know from Anthony's backstory that he's a bit of a lad, so it's natural that he jumps to that for Colin too. It does seem like Colin has a slightly more mature or sensible head stuck to them their shoulders, though. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I, and in some ways, probably more respectful of women in this point in time where it feels like Anthony does not have a lot of respect for the women no. around him, other than his, his mother, which she's very much a, a matriarchal um, point in his life. So. so over at the new Hastings residence, Jeffries, the Duke's um, butler, yeah, I guess so. enters the bedroom and tells Simon that he's prepared the study for the Duke to work. Simon complains that he's on his honeymoon, but is quickly informed that the steward has left the records in some disarray. Jeffries cannot make heads nor tails of the accounting for the estate, and there are letters from tenant farmers. Trouble lies ahead, it seems. Daphne is now taking a tour with Mrs. Colson, and it interrupts her telling her some history to indicate that she already knew it, and cringe. Mrs. Colson didn't like that at all. All that learning that Violet gave Daphne about running a house may or may not be the best thing here, as Mrs. Colson is simply smiling and saying, Of course, Your Grace, when Daphne says something. You wish to redecorate? Certainly, Your Grace. When they stop to admire a portrait of the former Duchess, Simon's mother, Mrs. Coulson says that she was thoughtful and most proper, a perfect Duchess. Then she gives Daphne some side-eye that goes unnoticed. Poor girl. Coulson shows Daphne the nursery, but of course, Daphne doesn't want to see it as it reminds her of Simon's inability to have children. She says that they should move on. Coulson is very confused. There are various scenes of Daphne and the Duke enjoying themselves, and we don't need to go into that. You all know... You've seen the bear bombs. <laughs> so here's where we get some glimpses that the Duke's mother and father have not had the most amazing marriage. It's an example of what is not a love match during this time period. Clearly, Simon's mother's purpose was to produce an heir, and there wasn't much love between them. We get a sense that Daphne knows very little about Simon's background. She's had to, to hear it through the housekeeper, which I would find very humiliating in that situation. I think it's definitely one of those times where even though a couple is having a lot of fun, clearly, uh, they don't really know one another. So this lovely honeymoon period can't last forever because this couple really doesn't know each other and their insecurities, their annoying habits. Everything is just fun and for us, a bit graphic. I do feel like some of this is very cliched and like Daphne needing to be the most prim and proper lady of the house, never getting involved in the dirty work and being looked down upon by the housekeeper for being a bit too bubbly and personal. I get it, but like, eh, I don't, you know, I don't know how accurate that is. And it also seems like a bit of a common trope to me. Yeah. I mean, these scenes are definitely here just to show us a little about how um, Daphne's too naive and untested for the role of Duchess just yet. Um, I think it's good. I think it's a good thing that she's so forward about it, better than being reluctant to step up, step up to the duties required. But the housekeeper is definitely not so sure it's a good match. There would be quite a lot of women who would 
take pointers from the housekeeper as she's been there for many years mm. and could maybe get pearls of wisdom from the previous duchess via the housekeeper but Daphne clearly is taking charge and in in some cases like I mean like from our point of view that's pretty good for her but from the housekeeper's point of view Mrs. Colton's point of view that's quite frustrating like who is this young woman to come in here and the first thing she does is tell her that she's going to redecorate and she's like this house has been like this for years and yeah I see both sides of things though but like at the same time Daphne was very warm to her and like she touched her on the hand and just seemed like she really wanted to get to know her so I could see but that's again that's a little bit improper for a duchess to be so personable maybe i I mean that's the kind of vibe i was getting but you know yeah in this situation i don't know i think it's a it's kind of a strange dynamic but it's one i think i've definitely seen other places where it's like oh you're the duchess or you're the princess and you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that and it's not proper type thing and i like the fact that daphne tries to get to know people on a personal level but I, I think at the same time, there is a way to get to that point with people without maybe overwhelming them right at first. Yeah, yeah. Again, maybe a sign of her naivety. Um, it's definitely a sign of her, her um, uh, newbiness. That's a great word. Well, you know, if you play games, you know exactly what a noob is. <laughs> An overhead shot of London, clearly CGI, but not the worst example we've seen. We enter the Bridgerton household to a breakfast scene. The youngest siblings are causing a ruckus, and Colin walks in rather gingerly. Hyacinth excitedly states that Colin's engagement is in Whistledown. Lady Violet tries to shush her, and Benedict shepherds all the others out so Colin and his mother can talk. Violet was not prepared for another child to leave the nest so soon, but it seems that despite that, she's somewhat happy for Colin. Across at the Featherington house, Marina and the two sisters are talking. The sisters ask if Colin would introduce them to his friends. Penelope is by the doorway, listening in. Marina makes a comment that all of their fortunes are about to change, and Penelope chimes in with, hmm, especially Colin's. Very shady shady there. (laughs) Uh, Marina tries to be friendly, and Penelope rejects her. Marina is saying she wants Penelope's continued friendship. And Penelope says, my continued silence, you mean. I hate to say it, but I probably would be the person to say that. Uh, Penelope states that she would never bring scandal down on Marina and their family, but she cannot condone Marina's actions. Lady Featherington pulls Marina away to go to the modiste. The two sisters, whose names we always forget, joke that they clean forgot that Colin wasn't the father of the child. And Penelope is rather incensed at this, saying they should not mock him, that Marina makes a fool of him already. We travel to the Modiste, where Lady Violet and Eloise are. They're pulling Eloise's hair up to represent a lady out in society, when Lady Featherington and Marina enter the Modiste and greet the Bridgertons. Violet tells Marina that she should call her by her first name now. Lady Featherington comments that it will be wonderful to be forever joined to the Bridgertons, and Violet says, yes, it certainly is something, with a strained chuckle. (laughs) Portia invites Violet, Colin, and Anthony over for a celebration, and then steals Delacroix away for a moment. Delacroix tries to say that the Featherington account is not settled, and their credit is lacking. She will not make Marina's dress. 
She says that they will find another tailor across town. Oui. Marina jumps in with a comment on Delacroix's unique accent, but she's never asked where in France she is from. Cue the background violin strings. And then, boom, out comes Marina's French. My mother was French, you see. I apologise, my French is terrible, so I wrote down the English trans translation. My mother was French, you see, and I'm not fooled by your little act. She would hate for the other ladies of the ton to know that they'd been taken in by it too. She then, in English, says that she believes Madame de Lacroix will be somewhat more amenable to their requests now. Très bon. So, I'm not trying to be biased on Penelope's side, but I feel like Marina is just as conniving and just as self-serving as Lady Featherington is. I know that Penelope has also been a bit of a schemer, but I feel like she also has Colin's interests in mind, whereas Marina is entirely self-serving. I completely believe that Marina's entire friendship with Penelope is predicated on her silence, as Penelope says. I don't think Marina feels anything from, for Penelope but pity, just patting her on the head and using her for her own purposes. I'm really having a hard time liking this character pretty much at all at this point. I've got sympathy for her situation, but with things like how she handles Miss Delacroix and how she's pretended to care for Colin, I just feel like Marina can give as good as she gets, and I'm really finding it hard to root for this character. I also feel like she doesn't care about what happens in the aftermath, clearly. She knows Colin is a good guy, and that's all she cares about. It doesn't matter that he could see her differently after he finds out that she's pregnant. It doesn't matter that he could not want a relationship with her or believe that she never loved him. None of that matters. She is just thinking of herself. I do suppose this is one of those situations that it's like desperate times call for desperate measures. And I get it. I get why Marina is doing this, but she doesn't even act like she's remorseful for what she's doing or that she feels guilty for it. It's making me feel no different about her than I do Lady Featherington, and that's no good place to be in. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, the way that Marina is being is forced on her because of the situation that she's in. And most of the uh, men in this world would be deserving of the way that she's acting. I think in a lot of ways, it's Colin's kind of innocent-faced, genuine desire to be a good man that makes us dislike how Marina's going about it so much, though, right? What do you mean? So, I mean, earlier in that scene between Colin and Anthony, and Anthony's like, oh, you know, I should have just taken you to brothels. <laughs> Um, and Colin's like, no, don't be an ass. I'm in love. Like, he's trying to be a good person. Like, out of the, the brothers, he's the one that's the most innocent. He's the one that's the most kind of like a genuinely nice person that we've seen kind of thing, right? So because he has got this innocent-faced, genuine desire to be good, that it makes us dislike how Marina's going about it. Because if this had been Anthony... And we'd seen him going off and doing all this stuff with other women. Or one of those gross older men. Right. Then we wouldn't care that she's doing this. Mm. The only reason that we do is because Colin is such like an innocent, genuine person. And and uh, Penelope's kind of crush on him. That's I mean, the only reason. Well, I'd like to say that we'd know this was kind of wrong to do regardless of the person. But I think you may be right. I think we would we would sympathize with her in any other situation if the guy was bad, if the guy of course was we running would. around. And, yeah. That's how these things work. Yeah. Because she would be the main character at that point. Um, you know, if, if this was slightly different, we would be 
we'd be rooting for her because we're on her side. Because when the the showmakers they put us in the position uh, as the audience of knowing everything that's going on it makes us complicit with her behavior it's the same way that you know shows like dexter and all those other ones about murderers can make you sympathize with the murderer or the serial killer or whatever it's because we're seeing it from their point of view and so we see their reasons for it and you know it's not a a genuinely insane evil character is not a character that you could ever have as a main character because like nobody is genuinely evil and insane um in real life hopefully I mean, maybe but never mind that, that's, that's no that's a whole different other conversation but like in, in terms of characters whenever you've got a main character no matter what they're doing there's always some kind of rationale for it in their mind yeah. and when you see it you become part of that little like conspiracy and so that's what i'm saying here because we also see colin's side of it and he is so nice we dislike the things that marina's doing to him and yeah. then penelope by extension I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I think I still do sympathize with Marina in a lot of ways, but it's tipped me over at this point where she's like manipulating the, basically blackmailing the woman at the uh, modiste at this point that I'm like, oh goodness, I'm way over this girl. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's something that you can kind of go like, Ah, well, because we know that Madame Delacroix is lying to all of the people of London. She's living a sham. And, and so if she's if she's doing this bad thing and getting all of this money off people because they think she's this amazing French dressmaker, like, yes, she's an amazing dressmaker, but she's not French and her whole business is based on a lie, then why shouldn't Marina also do something to get, like, their own way? Like, you know, it's kind of like I, tit I for get tat. it. I guess something like this... You know, at the very beginning, we think, well, Marina's been put in these different situations that's kind of forced her to do X, Y, and Z. And and then she's so in love with the guy that she was with and everything. So you think at first, like, gosh, she's just doing whatever she has to. And somebody like Lady Featherington is is willing to do these, like, kind of conniving things behind closed doors. But I really see, like, in this scene, you watch like in a twisted way lady featherington look at marina like oh i didn't know you had it in you like we're kindred spirits when that scene happens the three of them looking at each other interesting and i was like you know at this point i realized well marina's really no better than lady featherington so it just shows me she has what links she's willing to go and i didn't think before this point that she was that bad i guess is what i'm saying but this shows me she is. This shows me that there's loads of other situations she's she's probably willing to put herself in or go to. Uh, yeah, possibly, so. possibly. I mean, it's it's not quite as bad as, in my eyes, as, as what Lady Featherington kind of does and yeah and things. So I mean, yeah. Well, except for later, we'll talk about that. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. Oh no, I know, obviously. But so anyway, we jump back to the village fair that Mrs. Coulson told Daphne about earlier where the prize pigs are ready to be chosen. Daphne asks a farmer what the prize for the winner will be and finds out that it is slaughter, poor piggies. She announced that all three pigs have tied. I would 100% also do this. This way, none of the pigs will be slaughtered. No one seems excited about this, except for probably Daphne. I would be elated by my choice of doing this because I love pigs so much. A man comes up to 
the Duke and tells him that his rents have been doubled, so it's hard to put food on the table. Daphne answers the man, saying that they can fix the problem. It's oh, so easy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Daphne seems to glide through the village, full of riffraffs. Her bangs are driving me insane, though, so this has nothing to do with the plot, but it must be said. Um... Over at the Featheringtons, Marina is wearing a new dress that she is hoping will cover her bump, but Penelope believes she will not be able to fool Lady Bridgerton. Lady Featherington is being super cringe, trying to push the wedding sooner rather than later. But the Bridgertons are having none of it. They want to have a lengthy engagement. While one of the Featherington girls, does it matter which one, are singing horrendously, Penelope stops Colin in the hall. Penelope tells him that Marina's heart belongs to another. He tells her that it's no big deal that Marina likes someone else before him because he's flirted with half the girls in London. He talks to Penelope as if she's a child, as if she just doesn't know the way of the world and that people have flirtations and past relationships before they're married and poor thing. She just doesn't know that life is like that because she's too innocent. Marina comes out seeing the two of them, telling Penelope that Lady Featherington needs her now. Now alone, Marina tells Colin that no one wants her and that she wishes her family wanted her too, but she thinks they are just being polite. Colin tries to persuade her otherwise, but I fear she and the rest of us know the real deal. Colin tries to suggest that the two of them run to Gretna Green and that they should run off together. He only needs a day to do it. Oh boy. So... For those have, that have never heard of it, Gretna Green, it was famously a place in Scotland that couples could go to elope together without any consequences. And still is. And still is. Uh, but so in 1745, a marriage act was put in place that kept couples from under 21 from marrying without their parents' consent in England, which honestly, with all the child marriages going on back then, I am shocked that the age was at 21 and not maybe 18. Uh, that's a higher age than I was expecting, which honestly, with all of the child marriages going, back, going on back then, I am A, shocked that it was 21 and not 18. That's a higher age than I was expecting. And then B, that they made something like this so that children weren't going to get married. Though I'm pretty sure some children still did get married, even with parent consent. This is better than nothing, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the genuine child marriages that we think of are probably from earlier than 1745 anyway. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, I know that, you know, we, we know from things like Jane Austen that girls were getting married at, at 14 and, and 15, um, and running off and that sort of thing. So the age still is young Young at this time period. A lot of those marriages that you're talking about, those earlier ones, were for alliances and royal right. families and those sorts of things. So, so. But those, those girls running off and getting married so young, was that not just because it was harder to prove that they were that young? You know, even in, in the First World War, we had loads of young boys like pretending that they were 18 and being enlisted and that's like in the early 1900s so if you know today everybody's got you know a, a driver's license maybe you're a passport or something that proves their age back then you just you just go yeah i'm 18 and then they kind of go uh, sure okay i mean i i i don't know i don't know what the percentage is of how many people were really getting married young or yeah older um but i guess this was kind of a way to 
to facilitate. I, I do know like in the U.S. that certain states you can still get married at like 14 with parental consent. So that, you know, that's shocking to me. But back then they had this law that you couldn't just run off without parental consent. So this is not good necessarily because it means that uh, for a lot of girls, they they were probably getting married young and their parents kind of pushing them into it. And the parents giving consent and kind of maybe forcing them into a situation. But in another way, at least, I mean, you're right, they couldn't probably prove that you were 21. But at least it showed that there was some sort of effort in, in that direction. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to look at some sort of positive out of out of something like this it shows some sort of progress towards we don't want children getting married and that's kind of what we're trying to say here so anyways gretna green is near the border of scotland slash england so it's the perfect place for young couples to escape and get married quickly where it was still legal to get married under 21 without your parents parents decision consent without your parents' consent. So there was this thing called irregular marriages where pretty much anyone could marry anyone. So blacksmiths at Gretna Green would marry young couples where the legal age to wed was 12 for girls and 14 for boys, which is insane. Um, In 1885, Gretna Green became a tourist attraction where people could come and visit the place where thousands of couples had run off to get married. So other places have now become Gretna Greens, such as obviously Las Vegas, Reno, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and Elkton, Maryland. That's uh, really interesting about the irregular marriages thing. I never, never heard of that. Yeah, um, that's why they've got that kind of um, gavel thing there that you can take a picture with because the blacksmiths used to be able to kind I've, of. I have no idea. Yeah. I've never been. <laughs> so in Pride and Prejudice. Lydia mentioned that she and Mr. Wickham plan on traveling to Gretna Green to get married, though they are only found in London living together. So that was worse at the time. Uh, She was, I think, 14 or 15 in the novel. There is loads of other references to Gretna Green in pop culture, such as Agatha Christie novels, Georgette Heyer novels in Downton Abbey. Lady Sybil and Branson originally think to run off to Gretna Green. Um, and so that's that's obviously much later on that people are still running off to Gretna Green. You've got a good kind of time span of around 200 years or so that people are using this location. So in The Crown and in Poldark, couples attempt to run to Gretna Green. There are far more couples that attempt to run to Gretna Green in fiction than actually make it there, it seems. But clearly, plenty of couples did get married there. We personally actually looked into Gretna Green, not necessarily eloping, but bringing just a few family and friends with us. It's more expensive expensive than we were thinking it was going to be. But I think it's a kind of a fun thing to do. The fact that you're still going to be married in the same place that people used to run off to all those years ago. Though I'm sure now they don't allow teenagers to just run off, obviously, uh, to get married. But I think it would be a fun thing to do, to drive up to Scotland and get married somewhere in Gretna Green. It does sound fun. Yeah. Um, and like like I said, I had no idea that the age was that low. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Um, the funny thing about Gretna Green is that growing up in the north, relatively close to Scotland, you, you always hear about Gretna Green and people would like joke about it a lot. Yeah. You know, just growing up, it was just in the zeitgeist. I had no idea why. And I think it just 
became part of the culture. Um, so you knew that if you wanted to elope, you went to Gretna Green. So Daphne wakes up alone. She looks into the empty nursery and closes the door, and it's apparently too hard to handle for her. She finds Simon in the study for the first time, and he gives her very little attention. Mm -mm -mm. Daphne then is visiting their tenants, trying to offer people a basket from Cliveden's gardens. Um, everyone is avoiding her, and a local woman and her child, whom we saw interact with Daphne earlier, um, kind of come up to Daphne. I think the child runs up to greet her. And uh, she finally agrees to a basket, but she doesn't have the hands to carry one, so Daphne agrees to walk home with her. This, this lady tells Daphne that the reason people are ignoring her is because she didn't choose a winning pig. Normally the winner gets to supply meat to Cliveden for the next year, so they get a contract and like a huge boost of income. But because she chose all three, nobody got the contract. She is mortified by the mistake and says that she'll rectify it at once. Back at Cliveden itself, Daphne confides in Mrs. Coulson, the new housekeeper, to learn more about her new husband. Mrs. Coulson tells her that Simon's parents' marriage was strained and then adds that it's not always the woman who is barren, but sometimes it is the man, which very clearly gets Daphne's cogs turning. So I just want to make like a slight comment. I don't know why at the time when all that happened with the pigs that like Simon wouldn't have been aware of that. Like surely he would have been aware that one of these pigs had to win and that that was like a tradition or like he'd know something, but he just clapped along like, oh, yay, they're all three winners. And she had to deal with this whole situation completely on her own. It was kind of weird. I think it there's a couple of things that it could have gone a couple of ways it could have gone with that, because either he wouldn't want to contradict her in public, which would have been embarrassing and lose her yeah. honor, or he just genuinely had never been involved in that before because he's been away for so long or something. I think it's implied that it's one of the two of those. I just find it hard to believe he wouldn't know something. And so, oh, yeah. or or at least like in his mind, logically go, this doesn't sound right. So I don't know. Yeah, um, I know. But anyways, like kind of going off of that, um, a part of my research for my PhD has been looking into the history of country houses and clearly kind of Cliveden fits in this world of, of country houses. Um, I look in my PhD about how we can tell stories to include everyone connected with an estate like this. So not just the grand house and the architecture and the nice artwork and furniture, but to include stories of tenant farmers and gardeners gamesmen, domestic staff, workers in connection with industries, uh, and even plantations that helped some of these great houses be built in other locations like Jamaica. So how to include these well-rounded narratives that aren't just about lords and ladies in the big, beautiful houses, but people who kept these houses going or local craftsmen who, who built these estates so I do think that in one regard, to even show the tenants and the people on the land and to show like beyond the great house is more than we see in a lot of period dramas. A lot of period dramas don't even show kind of the people that are connected with these estates. You just kind of see the big the people in the big houses gliding around with one another. All too often, we don't see tenant farmers or connected industries such as mines that usually would bring in a lot of money for these estates. So I do think that just showing this aspect of country estates is good, but it's shown in a very 
basic, colorful manner. Just kind of like when we were mentioning that the bad part of town in a few of these episodes ago were very stereotypical and showed none of the real realities. I think that this is another one of those scenes. Sometimes tenants were paid all right wages in these situations. All too often, they were not. They were living in poverty. A lot of the working conditions could be really rough places like quarries and coal mines. There was almost no way to get out of your social station. And your landlord, who would have been someone like the Duke, was all too often someone who was very distant or spent a lot of time living in London or other larger cities and communicated to their tenants through an agent. It's all just too much of a pretty scene which I know by now Bridgerton is highly fictional, but I do believe that it's one of those aspects that people should know the truth about. These estates with their massive amounts of wealth did not come out of nowhere. They weren't built entirely on their own, and a lot of these grand houses were so grand because people who lived and worked on the land were often paid so little. Or even like I mentioned earlier, slavery was involved in places like Jamaica, and that made the wealth amassed to so much. I know that, that, you know, people watching Bridgerton, a lot of it, like I was talking about earlier, people want kind of the more colorful, even I want the more like colorful, fictional, fantasy type world. But if you do want to learn a bit more about what the realities are about country houses and estates and how they were kind of built and stuff, um, there's a lot of resources online. If you're wanting to watch another period drama that, that shows the relationship a bit more, um, between country estate owners and um, their tenants. Shows like Gentleman Jack are a lot more realistic on the kind of work and lifestyle tenants would have had on a country estate. It, it also shows kind of the level of poverty that some of them could have been living in. But it still doesn't really show the complicated nature of the relationship between landowner and the tenants. It's great that we can get lost in shows like Bridgerton or Downton Abbey about these great houses with people who have amazing wealth and beautiful clothing and drawing rooms. But I think it is important that while we enjoy these shows, we do remember that it wasn't reality and that these sorts of relationships weren't just as simple as pigs in a contest. Sorry, I wasn't trying to be a Debbie Downer, but when it does come to these things, it's just a good thing to remember. If you do want to look into to something like that, I, I urge you to. I think it's it just gives you a complete picture and lets you know what the reality is, even while you're enjoying a show like this. I think the two things can happen at the same time. So, I think it's a lot harder for TV and film to capture those kinds of things, though, because we just we don't have a lot of time. TV obviously is better than film in that regard. Yeah, you can have ten or eight hours compared to the two or three of a film, but still, it's very difficult to really capture the whole truth of something like that. And even even films and TV shows that try to be very historically accurate, they don't fully show you the whole picture because it's obviously a film is a single snapshot of a certain thing. Um, something that keeps coming into my mind as I'm saying this is Master and Commander, mm. the film uh, with uh, Russell Crowe, I believe. I think that's one of the most like starkest type of like they they're trying so hard to be historically accurate. And yeah, I'm... um, so much so that there isn't a single woman in the film. So yeah. <laughs> it's I mean it's a really good example of the historical kind of thing, but at the same time we don't see anything connected to it. Like you know we've got some of the commoners on the like just the common. Uh, semen and stuff but we don't have really you know the full full picture there anyway um i think it is a shame 
in a way that shows like Bridgerton have to be fun in order to get commissioned, is what I was trying to come around to say. It would be fascinating to see the way that an entire estate worked um, in, in a show, but it would probably make it a little bit more like Downton Abbey, less bright and fantastical than Bridgerton. Downton Abbey, Abbey tried to do some of that. It was Not a completely, little, but they did yeah, try. Yeah, it was a little bit more realistic. But, you know, that's something that is better kind of kept in a book series really in terms of going into depth into those kinds of things obviously yeah as you were saying the real relationships between tenants and lords was complicated and, and had been for a very long time at this point in history in a lot of ways these kinds of shows the the, the fantastical colorful ones are much easier to to sell to a board of stakeholders and say hey give us a bunch of money so we can make a show why because it's really depressing, shows the reality of slavery, shows people dying of all these horrible things. Well, and I totally understand the, the reasons behind having a show like Bridgerton for escapism. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. And so I'm, I'm not someone that thinks that we should have every single show that's set in a historical period as completely historically accurate and that, you know, it, it should show all the horrific realities because at the end of the day, people do watch television to escape. So, you know, I'm I'm all for a bit of that. But I, I also think that when you do have shows such as Bridgerton or Downton Abbey was a great example of this, that there are also ways to go, you know, you've really enjoyed the show. Now come learn about the, the real aspect of this. And I think a lot of, there was a lot of historical houses and museums and stuff that used that to their advantage that went, oh, well, our house was set while... Uh, Downton Abbey was going on the Biltmore estate was one of those um, that's my hometown in Asheville North Carolina and the Biltmore house was was built around the time that Downton Abbey and had the same setup and everything that Downton Abbey did in North Carolina and so they really took advantage of that and was able to tell the story of the Biltmore estate through you know examples of Downton Abbey and so I, I think that there is a lot of good that can come from that and can come from fiction to be able to show the realities. Um, but I don't necessarily think that everything that is made in television has to have that in and of itself all the time. And so oh, no, I'm not trying to be not, a Debbie no. Downer with this, but I do think kind of talking about those aspects in something like a podcast is, is a great way to still remind people of like, this is how it really was, but, you know, still enjoy the show. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we're not trying to say that, obviously we, we like this kind of thing as well. So we're not trying to say that anybody shouldn't, so. Yeah. Okay, back to the recap. Over at the Featheringtons, Penelope fakes being ill so that she can break into Marina's room when everybody else is out. Naughty, naughty. She's trying to find any evidence that she can. She does find a runaway bag and a bunch of letters. Clearly Marina is about to head off with Colin. Naughty, naughty too. Marina comes into the room and uh, catches Penelope in the act. And Penelope tells her that all will be well because she believes that her mother has been writing forged letters and that will solve all of Marina's problems. Unfortunately, Marina still hasn't gotten a letter back from her lover and so regardless of if Portia has forged the letters or not, she has still been abandoned by him and will go along with her plan to marry Colin. Penelope has a little bit of an outburst over this issue, and Marina realises that Penelope loves Colin. She tells Penelope that her love is unrequited. Colin only sees her as a little sister, much like he sees Eloise. He sees Marina as a woman. 
as a wife, and so she has to make grown-up decisions, unlike Penelope, who knows nothing of the world. She's got no qualms with squashing Penelope's dream of Colin, because she's got to do what she's got to do. Ugh, this is so painful to watch, this whole kind of situation. You know, I, I think it reeks of desperation that Penelope is breaking into Marina's room. So that that's sad and uncomfortable. But then there's something so human, so soul-crushing about Marina telling Penelope that Colin doesn't see her as a woman. Like, she is really hitting her where it hurts, I think. Like, hey, you're like a relative to him. You're so undesirable. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear you're like a brother to me when they're, like, asking you out. Like, <laughs> that's just the worst thing to hear. So it's kind of a similar situation to something like this. It's just, it's so unnecessary and mean. Marina can't possibly know that about Colin, and there's no reason to take that conversation that far. There, uh, there was no reason for her to say that to Penelope other than it hurts her. So this is making it even harder for me to like Marina. She's just being cruel for cruelty's sake. It's the whole, you're not one of those girls who guys sees as being desirable and wife material, but I am. It's women pitting themselves against each other, and I hate it. Badly done, Marina, and badly done, Penelope, for breaking into her room. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the worst things that could have happened to Pen right now, and she thinks that she's solved the problem, and you know, finding the forged letters, um, you know, there was a real moment of like, oh, look, everything's fixed, but it, Bless her it heart. wasn't. Um, I don't necessarily agree that Marina doesn't know Colin like that, though, um, because as we've kind of seen, Marina is a little bit more capable, um, kind of manipulatory, schemery, kind of socially aware um, that she has possibly seen how Colin talks to Penelope or maybe kind of talks about Penelope um, and Marina's interpreting it that way. So, like, it's definitely a cruel thing to do. I'm not kind of trying to take away from that, but I'm not necessarily... I don't think that she's wholly making it up. No, no, totally not. I, I agree with you there. I just think there was no reason to say it, so... No, yeah. And I think... I would say that it is correct, though. From what we've seen, he does seem to have, a like, brotherly feelings for her rather than anything rather than anything else um, i think because when i was a teen i definitely was that girl that had very like young girl vibes and i you know was very childlike for a really long time and so i had a lot of insecurities about that thinking that guys had no interest in me at all and that i was just like a little sister and stuff and you know now i don't care as an adult but at the time it's if somebody had have said that to me that that like oh guys just think you're like their little sister that would have crushed me at that age i would have been like oh that's, this is so awkward and awful and so i really think like something like that hearing that has to be one of like the worst things especially at that age fair enough over at the new abode in cliveden daphne goes into simon's office late at night and uh, not much more needs to be said daphne can tell that something is up however and so can we now awkward immediately afterwards daphne goes to her lady's maid and asks how a baby is made <laughs> after all of these uh many many scenes she's not figured it out um and how we've no idea but here we are at dinner daphne watches simon laugh and converse with her now knowing the truth and this changes everything 
Later, at night, things happen again, and essentially Daphne decides to take matters into her own hands. The two of them quarrel over the matter, and he says that he cannot have children, and she says that there is a difference between cannot and will not. She feels betrayed by him, not explaining things to her properly, and he feels betrayed that she took advantage of him. It is a mess, and I wish we weren't privy to this at all. Over at the Bridgertons, Penelope comes running up to Eloise and breaks down in tears. The two friends' friendship is clearly uh, restored somewhat, but Penelope's heart is broken. Lady Whistledown's narration leads us out of the episode, and she's found out that Marina is pregnant, and soon Colin finds out as well. He was about to run off with her when the paper arrives, and now all of their plans are thwarted. So, this is awkward. We really don't want to have to speak on this scene with Daphne and the Duke, but it is pertinent to the plot. So, Daphne, not knowing that Simon lied to her and took advantage of her naivete, naivete, naivete. Just a naivete. (laughs) And then her deciding to take advantage of him. It's not a comfortable scene to watch at all. I wish if they were going to put it in there that they would just allude to it. It's super awkward and it's wrong, quite frankly. So that's as much as I want to say on it. It's it's wrong. I wish we hadn't seen it, but it is it is part of the plot. For the other storylines, this is a hard episode to watch. As much as I've chastised Marina, there is something desperate and sad in watching Marina's plans fall apart and then it be broadcast so publicly. You know, I think especially right now, we're seeing a lot of um, different women being talked about in the media, you know, kind of with this whole thing that's come up with Britney Spears and a, and a couple other women, I think Paris Hilton. You know, I, I think that this kind of thing being put in the press for the whole world to see and everything, right now we can really relate to how it can affect women. So that aspect, I really do hate. It's, it's sad to watch that. It's all over town now and there's no way of going back and her finding a different situation. Not that she should take advantage of another guy and not tell him, but it just means that she can be looked at badly by everyone. She can be shamed and people can shun her from society. And that is not only hard personally, it's potentially dangerous for her. So as much as I think the writers were hoping that this would be a fun episode full of romps, it's left a bad taste in my mouth and it's it's ended on a sad note, which is not fun. I'm I'm ready for the next episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so in terms of the Daphne and Simon thing, it's definitely not the best action to be performing. And like you said, we don't want to discuss it because hopefully it's obvious why not. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously we didn't want to completely skip over it and um, kind of, you Pretend know. Pretend that it didn't Yeah, happen. exactly, because yeah. it, it does happen. It's gross. Um, yeah, so... It's definitely a shame that Whistledown uh, pulled the plug on Marina and Colin like that because they're both in shambles now. And poor Colin, it's, uh, you go again, it's that innocent thing, but at least he found out before it was too late, I guess. Um, he wouldn't have liked it had he been married when he discovered her secret. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I think we'll probably come back and discuss this more uh, later towards the end of the, the season. I think it would be interesting to do that. But how similar to the book was this? Not... Uh, are you talking about which which aspect? 
Hmm, it's been a while since I wrote this question down in the document, <laughs> so... In, um, I'll say, in terms of Colin and Marina, not a plot point at all. Marina is not a uh, character in the book. Ah, uh, so. yes, I do remember you telling me that now. So yeah, that that's... whole plot, plot line is not even uh, Okay, not even well then thing. ignore my question. It was, <laughs> a, it was a silly question. <laughs> so we've got two episodes to go in the recap. I'm sure most people have watched Bridgerton by now, but it's still on the top 10, I think, of trending shows so people are still watching it and catching up on it and so i think it's definitely a show that's that's held on for quite some time now yeah i mean that's good i haven't really been paying attention personally i've been lazy and i've let you do all of the finding out about the news yeah. and things mm -hmm. haven't i however you know part of that is because of what i said earlier i i don't I don't enjoy finding out things yeah. about the new seasons before like ahead of time. I, I really do want kind of unbiased a look at the, the shows that I watch as, as I can really. Um, you know, even after all this, this time I'm, st I get to watch, you know, Star Trek, the next generation fresh with, with fresh eyes. Cause I never watched it as a, as a kid. And if, if I knew everything that happened in that, like, episode by episode like what would be the point so yeah anyway it's not it's not what i'm like um but as we've said before it's kind of uh all about learning what the audience wants you know um clearly netflix has found a genre that people want and if it's still in trending that's great and people are enjoying something that's been created by a fantastic show maker basically so we're eventually going to be moving in not during this pandemic. Moving but house. Yeah, just, moving just... house. Yeah. But not during the pandemic. But we're looking for houses for sale and for rent, mostly just for research and for fun at the minute. I don't know what happens when you get in your late 20s, early 30s, but you start really enjoying looking at houses. It's a huge part of my pastime. <laughs> I can do it for hours, which I never would have thought I would do as a teenager. That would have been such a weird thing. You would have asked, like, teenage Kayla... Are you going to be sitting around looking at houses online in your 20s? I would have been like, please, no. But now I guess it's it's kind of like a guilty pleasure to pretend what it would be like to move into certain houses, how I would paint an area, what I would change about the kitchen, that sort of thing. Most of the time I normally look at these things in our price range, but these last few times of reading all of Bridgerton, I'm like, I want to look at all the mansions. There's so many beautiful historic houses for sale in the UK. Most of them are like in the 600,000 to 2 million range, 2 million pound range. So it's like, it's never achievable for us, but it's so fun to look at. There's even like these, these kooky houses where you're like, why on earth would you decorate this house this way? They're just like so insane. They'll have like mannequins everywhere or i remember that one you showed me yeah but, right but you know let's be honest if you've got enough money to buy a two million pound mansion or castle or manor house or something you're gonna decorate it however you want and you know other people could just go away do you know what i mean like I you're mean, not I... gonna care if you've got that much yeah. money that's silly money <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm fascinated know. looking through these houses. Yeah. I mean, so. we can make up the stories of the people who live there. It's pretty, pretty fun. But to be fair, you said 600K at like at the low end. Yeah. Doesn't sound that bad for like some of these massive houses. They're and not. Stuff. No. Ha however, I have seen ordinary, albeit large, houses for that price. And honestly, a house that large, even just like an ordinary house that's just big, 
would be so much work. Like, I would need us to have a staff just to stop from going insane with the housework. I I go a little bit insane with the housework in our tiny, tiny flat. Of which, how much of it do you do? I do loads of it, oh, ladies sure and gentlemen. Do. I'm sure you do. All the time. Anyway, so <laughs> it would only stay fun, a big house like that, for a little while, unless you had like a massive family and you could say, right, look, here's the chores. We're dishing them out. Yeah. And everyone's on a rotor. So, but, you know, because it would just be too much. I'd want a downgrade to like a bungalow or something. Like, <laughs> So I, I, I can see why Daphne needs her housekeeper and all her staff and everything. Because, yeah, these houses are big. And to, to maintain something like that and the grounds and everything, it's just, it's just insane. So I, I do think that's why a lot of these families that we were talking about, these houses have now gone into you know, the National Trust, um, a lot of them over here, because they do take an entire staff of people, you know, from from the marketing to the upkeep to conservation and everything. You know, they, they require an entire organization to keep those things up at, that a private family can't handle anymore. So, Well, well some private families are, let's be fair. They are. But I'm just it's... saying, like, a large number of them ended up handing over their properties because it, it was a lot to maintain. I'm guessing, and I don't know, I am purely guessing here, though, that a lot of those instances were where the families kind of died out. Maybe they didn't have any children to pass it on to and stuff. A lot of it you know had I mean? to do with after World War II, though. Oh, I, yeah. okay, yeah. No, that makes, like, loads of sense. So, it, I, you know, but, but anyways, my point for this roundabout conversation that we've had is that it's, it's a lot of fun looking up these properties one way, way or another. If you want to be entertained, some of these, you know, I'm, I'm complaining, but some of these properties are gorgeous inside and out that they're selling. And they're just kind of like a small view into, you know, the way the, the upper class live here in the UK. So if, if you want to be entertained, um, especially Americans who may not know these sites, I go on rightmove.com or zoopla.co.uk and just have a gander. Put in highest price and and just search around. You'll find a, a few beautiful mansions. And like me, you can take a few minutes and just pretend that you're Daphne walking around Cliveden. And um, you just said have a gander. Is that an American saying? I do not know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yes, finally. <laughs> this usually happens to me. Um, I have genuinely had conversations where no Americans have been around. And I have said... Something like, um, oh, why not take the elevator? And everyone looks at me weird. I'm like, oh, man, I meant lift. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we we influence each other, though, all the time. I definitely think that's, that's a thing. I've gotten to a point now. I've been in the UK about eight years now. And it's come to the point where I don't know where half of my vocabulary comes from. And I'll speak to family at home or I'll speak to people here. And they'll go, what does that mean? And I won't realize like which word comes from which place. And, and I also influence you. So it's, it is interesting sometimes speaking to people and living our life together. And I, I, I think it's crazy how long we've known one another and now been married and everything that there is still times we'll speak to each other and be like, what does that, what does that mean? What did you just yeah. say? And it's crazy. We learn new things about each other and our different cultures all the time. Yep, exactly. It's a lifelong journey of learning, which is uh, pretty, pretty good. And we learn through through doing this podcast, which is fun. So we again, we are sorry that this 
podcast has been kind of all over the place in terms irregular. of yeah irregular that's not how we want to to do this we know that uh, this season is about to wrap up on the podcast but we're wanting to extend it and talk to a few historians and experts, experts on different subjects and we're wanting to possibly recap a couple other um, regency shows going forward so we are going to sit down and kind of have a chat about when we want to have a regular upload schedule and once we do that we're going to let you know so that you can know this is the day things are coming and that you can expect it and be excited about some some new uploads weekly so that is all for this week thank you for listening once again if you are enjoying the podcast please consider leaving a review or a like or a follow or any of those other fun things on spotify or apple podcasts or the clicks yeah you know it, it always helps it it's probably something you hear a lot if you listen to podcasts, but, you know, it really does genuinely help. So thank you in advance. We are sporadic, but we do really enjoy doing this. So any bit can help. Thank you so much. And obviously every time somebody says something like, oh, we listen to your podcast, it makes us want to do it more. And it's just really um, encouraging. So. Makes us, it makes us feel nice. And it also means that Jordan is nicer to me and brings me cups of tea and things. I do that anyway. Don't lie to people. Thank you, as always, dear listener, for listening to our podcast. Until next time, goodbye.